Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the College Gridiron Podcast. It is week six of the college football season. Happy October, Jimmy. Happy spooky season. I'm so excited. I was blasting the Halloween music yeah. before when we were in here. We'll save it for, we'll save it for later because, you know, that's our theme. But it's, you know, it's time. I mean, we got pumpkin spice donuts, which I need to have. And it's spooky season. It's time to put up the decorations. It's time to get scary. A couple of college football teams had the Saturday scaries last week <laughs> yeah, as well. they did. They really did. Um, I don't even know where to start here. I mean, we could take the easy route and, and talk about Notre Dame, but I think I want to go the difficult route and talk about Penn State, Ohio State. Jimmy, you were, you were telling me before the show started that this is the second year in a row that Penn State blew a double-digit lead against Ohio State. It all happened in the fourth quarter, and it really all came down to James Franklin and his terrible play calling for the second year in a row. So first of all, let me just say that I wasn't entirely buying into the narrative that Penn State was missing Joe Moorhead. I am now, after watching that game. Shout-out Coach Joe. Shout-out Coach Joe. More cowbell. Uh, he had a tough loss this week, too, yeah. but you know we don't have enough time for that. Um, and... Now I do believe it, especially in the first half. They got off to a very slow start. Trace McSorley willed them to the end of that game. He deserved better. He played more than well enough for them to win. They're up 26-14. I think the real killer for them was the drive after they scored the last points of the game for them. Ohio State marched down, scored in like two minutes. I think that really killed them. But more, moreover, the play calling at the end of that game was an atrocity the likes of which I have not seen in a very, very long time. That call on 4th and 5 to run it, one of the most Brian Schottenheimer things I've ever seen in my life. And you take two timeouts. Penn State took two timeouts to run the ball on a 4th and 5. Jimmy, not only was it a run play on 4th and 5, it was a draw play on 4th and 5. And you you took the ball out of your best player's hands. Terrible. It it really was terrible, and I don't understand it. How? How? Yeah. How is the question? James Franklin obviously did not learn his lesson from last year. It was It's almost the exact same situation. You took the ball out of your best player's hand on the last play of your game. Did it with Saquon Barkley last year, not even taking it out of his hand on the last play. He just forgot he had him last game. And then this this season... He doesn't let Trace McSorley make a play. It was just predictable. It was very predictable. I mean, granted, there are there are some good things for Penn State to take out of this game. KJ Hamler has sprinter speed, which I didn't expect to see. That ninety-three yard touchdown that he broke, he just ran away from everyone, and that was great. But Trace McSorley had he ran the ball twenty five times for one hundred and seventy five yards. He was your best runner of the night. Why didn't you let him run it? That makes sense to me. Just it's it's flabbergasting. You're watching that and you're thinking, all right, they're going to throw it. And by the way, can I just say something else? There's this video going around on Twitter of James Franklin after the game where he's talking about our team's great, but they're elite and it's gone. By. Have you seen that? I have seen. Yeah. It. You don't get to talk about great versus elite when you run a running back draw on fourth and five to win the game. His point in that in that video at that press conference was he's acknowledging that everyone knows that he has a good football team, he's a great football team, 
but they cannot be content with being great. They need to show it week in and week out that they are great. That's on you, man. The players play, but they can only do as much as you allow them to do. You need to put these kids in the best position to be great week in and week out. Not only do they have to be great week in and week out, you have to be great week in and week out. And against the tough competition, he hasn't been. No. He's basically less khaki Jim Harbaugh. Whoa. I mean, am I wrong? It's not that You know what, though? When you look at the numbers, it's not that far off. Because I was just trying to think of, like, who he's beaten. All right, he beat Ohio State at home on a blocked field goal. He beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game after they were down by three scores. And Wisconsin sort of Wisconsin at the end of that game. And they lo- they lose last year to Michigan State and Ohio State by four points. It's not a coincidence. It's coaching. It's coaching. And you know what? I I just don't understand when you have so- – they have maybe – they're one of the most talented teams in the country. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on Saturday, I honestly believe they were the better team. And They were for most of the game. They got coached out of that game. And that's the Urban Meyer effect. Let's go over to the Ohio State side of this game. They looked terrible in the first half. They were down 13-7. to I mean, granted, it was a bad game all around. It was a much more low-scoring game than I think anyone really expected out of both of these teams, considering Ohio State averaged like 1,000 points in their first four <laughs> weeks. But Dwayne Haskins, he was all right. He had a 33.6 QBR. I mean, QBR is a, a flawed system, but that's still not great. Uh, J.K. Dobbins only averaged 3.4 yards on the ground. That's bad. Their leading receiver had 61 yards on two catches, and then their next leading receiver had 60 yards on seven catches. That's also not good. Not what you want. So, I think it's safe to say that both teams did not play to their full potential. What did Ohio State do to win them this game? They, at the end of the game, they got down 12, and there was a sort of teams play a lot freer when they get down. And I think that's what happened with Ohio State. Dwayne Haskins did not look good up until that point. No. I was thinking... Only 6.9 yards per average on a throw. Yeah, it wasn't very good. And I was thinking, up to that point, I was thinking, wow, this is a team that really misses JT Barrett. Because there was a 4th and 1 play where he ran it and he couldn't push the pile. And I was thinking JT Barrett would have gotten that. Because he did in the Big Ten title game last year. There was a similar play where he pushed and he got outside and he got the first down. But anyway... Dwayne Haskins came up huge on those last two drives. And the other thing that killed Penn State, that Ohio State did, was the screens. They had no idea. Ohio State's offense was basically like the Jets where it was just screen, screen, Mm -hmm. screen, screen. And Penn State couldn't stop it. So they just kept doing it. And eventually that's the play that got the game-winning touchdown to K.J. Hill to win it. But I think Dwayne Haskins stepped up huge in that game. But this is a team that I don't think they're as good as everyone thinks they are. They're lucky to get out of that game with a win. Good win. Great win. They're lucky to get out of there with it. And I think that Haskins is going to have to play a little better the rest of the season if they're going to be in a position to try to win a national championship. Because right now they're one of the top five or ten teams in the country, but they're not on the level of Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. I just don't see them there. Did you expect their defense to look this good against elite competition without Nick Bosa? No, I didn't. I picked Penn State last week. You picked Penn State, Yeah, we both picked Penn State. Uh, Shout out Jackson. He's not here today. He's the only one that picked Ohio State. Yeah, cheers, Jackson. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Anyway, um, no, 
I didn't. I thought they were going to give up 38 or 42 or something like that. But they gave up 26. They gave up probably a little more yards than the points indicated. But, hey, 26 points, that's not bad at all. Against the Penn State defense, first four weeks of the season, they scored 45 and 51 in the first two weeks. The first one was Appalachian State, so whatever. And then they scored, uh, I think, 60 in back-to-back weeks after that. I'll check that to make sure. But this is a great Penn State offense, and Ohio State played well. They so, played well. Hey, I mean, good for them. I mean, that's a championship-caliber defense. I just don't know. Haskins is incredibly talented. I just don't know if he's going to be able to play well enough for them to do what they want to do. So let's move on to the Stanford-Notre Dame game, a game that I was obviously very invested in. Um, I thought that if Notre Dame was going to lose this season, it was going to be this game right here. I mean, we saw what Stanford had been able to do. Up until this point, I think we both agreed they got very lucky to escape Oregon with that win, and they should have been a one-loss team coming into this game, which probably would have made it a little bit more difficult for for Notre Dame, as Stanford would be like, we should never have lost that game, we're going to bring it to you now. But we really didn't get that. We got a thorough handling of Stanford from Notre Dame. Once again, Ian Book looked phenomenal. I I don't think he is giving up that starting quarterback job anytime soon. They ran the ball very effectively. Dexter Williams took the took the reins from Jafar Armstrong, who was unable to play in the game. He had 161 yards and a touchdown. That's really good against a very good Stanford defense. And on the other side of the ball, on defense, they the Irish were monsters. They held Bryce Love to 73 yards. You don't see that very often. And Bryce Love got hurt in that game, too, so you hope he's okay. That defense played really well. Jerry Tillery is the guy I wanted to mention. Four sacks. He was a monster. He was all over the place. Ian Book looks incredible. And this is a Notre Dame team. They've got another test this week against Virginia Tech. We joked about it last week, but it, it's going to be a wild atmosphere. It should still be a good game even without Josh Jackson. At least you hope it'll be a good game. <laughs> you hope. Oh, on my end, I hope it's a blowout so I don't have to worry too much. I don't care. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Ian Book looks incredible. I'll just get you his numbers. 24 for 33, 278 yards, four TDs, no picks. It's great. You can't ask for anything more when no. you have a defense like Notre Dame does. So, hey, good for them. I think if they win against Vatek this week— and I can see him losing because that's kind of what Notre Dame's done. Yeah. But they win this week. You're looking at the rest of the schedule. They're only, their biggest test after that is probably Syracuse, which yeah. I can't believe I'm saying out loud. I think when we were talking about Ian Book taking the reins, people were scared that you were losing a dimension that Brandon Wimbush would give to you. We haven't seen that. We've seen kind of the same offense be ran, and Ian Book has produced. He's he's throwing the ball great. He's running the ball very well. He ran the ball 15 times for 47 yards. That's what you want. I mean, it's not exactly what Brandon Wimbush offers, but it's great. He's a he's a he's very very good. Yeah, and he's he's not as fast as Wimbush. No. Nobody's saying he is. No. But the thing is, you would much rather have that production in the passing game where you have an honest to god threat, you know, throwing the ball on offense, as opposed to the speed of Wimbush, where he gives you that, but what else does he give you? So I, this is, the offense is so much better with Buck. And I know I've been kind of bullish on Notre Dame, and I'm like, oh, their their last hard game was Stanford. No, not necessarily. We both admit that this Virginia Tech game will be difficult, because that's just what it is. Going to Blacksburg is a very tough place to play. And then you look further down the season, and you don't see games that really stand out to you. 
But you look at Navy when they have to go travel to play in San Diego. That's a tough game for them because they don't. They have historically struggled with that kind of offense. That like the teams like Navy, teams like Army, teams like Air Force run. They don't. They don't really get along well with that type of offense. Then you look at Syracuse at Yankee Stadium. That's a difficult game just because of not only of the environment, but Syracuse looks really good. They almost beat Clemson this week. Should have beat Clemson. Should have beat Clemson this week. And I'll even throw the Northwestern game in there on the third because they have to go to Evanston and Michigan almost lost to Northwestern on the road this week. I'll also throw the USC game in there because yeah. you ha- I think you have to. Of course, you have to. And I to. think USC could be playing a lot better at the end of the year than they are right now because they're just not playing very well. But, yeah, this is... This team honestly could run the table. Do you think if there is... I th- I think an undefeated Notre Dame makes the playoff. Do you think a one-loss Notre Dame makes the playoff? No, because they're not going to have the conference title game. And I think, unfortunately, the committee looks at that a little too much. I do think, though... I mean, let's just look at their schedule, like some of these good teams. They beat Michigan. It's a good win. It's a great win. It's a good win, especially at the start of the season. Beat Stanford. Probably a good win. Great uh, win. And they're, you know, Stanford probably should have lost to Oregon, but, you know, good win. If they beat Virginia Tech, I think that's a good win. Beating Navy, I think, is always a good win. But from the committee's point of view, those three games, Michigan, Stanford, Virginia Tech, those are going to be the three, right? If it comes down to a one-loss Notre Dame and let's say... Let's say it's so, a let's say it's a one loss Alabama or okay. Georgia who lost in a cha- in the in the conference championship. Or even game. I'll th- I'll even throw LSU into that because they look really good too. If it's da- if it's down to like one of those teams, it's not going to be Notre Dame because one I think those teams play a little bit tougher schedule. Like just looking at LSU, they played Miami, they'll play Alabama, they beat Auburn on the road. Georgia probably plays a tougher schedule too, especially with Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky looks incredible. Shout out Kentucky, number thirteen team in the year, no, in the country. That's fantastic for them. I don't, I don't ever remember them being that highly ranked, but good for them. And I just think Notre Dame. I think the mandate's going to have to be to win out, and it it sucks for them. But not being in a conference, not having that title game where you're guaranteed basically to play somebody really good, it's going to hurt them. Although I think this schedule more than good enough if they want if they run the table. I could see him being a two or a three seed. I think it's I think it's very easy for them to be in the playoff. So let's move on to something that we were talking about before the show, and I think we're gonna have very different views on. Let's get into this Clemson quarterback issue. So early on in this past weekend's game, Clemson against Syracuse, Trevor Trevor Lawrence has to leave with a neck injury. And because Mr. Kelly Bryant announced earlier that week that he was planning on transferring, he was not with the team, he was not in uniform, he could not come in to replace Trevor Lawrence as the QB2 in that situation. So what happens? QB3 comes in, QB3 wins the game. I want to get your thoughts on this first because I know I feel very strongly one way about this. What do you make of... Kelly Bryant's actions this past week. So this is one of those I didn't want to take in a black and white sense. I did not like the way Bryant handled it reportedly because he apparently texted Debo Swinney to tell him I'm transferring, um, which is incredibly weird. I, I can't even imagine how that text message would go. Just be like, you up, I'm transferring. No. Hey, coach, I'm gone. That's weird. <laughs> that's very weird. So that sort of that sort of rubbed me the wrong way because if I if, 
if I ever got in a position to do something that consequential, I'd want to be in the room. Of course. So I didn't appreciate that. Other than that, though, I don't like how everyone is killing Kelly Bryant for taking advantage of a rule that the NCAA has to at least kind of help these athletes because I think, look, he's never getting his job back. Trevor Lawrence is clearly better. But he can help another team where he doesn't burn his redshirt. He can go play somewhere else next year, be pretty good. I don't I don't see the problem with that, especially when these players don't get paid and there's no employer-to-employee expectations. So, yeah, okay, he plays in three games. He loses his job, easily loses his job. He can go somewhere else. He can help one of these smaller schools. So I don't, I don't see the issue in him leaving. My issue with him was more the way he handled it. And it just so happened to blow up in Clemson's face, this, well, nearly blow up in Clemson's face this weekend. But I don't, the way he did it was terrible to me. But other than that, no problem with what he did at all. Can, say he transfers today, right now, comes out, he's transferred. Can he play for another team this season, or will he have to wait until next season? I think he has to wait until next year. Let me, okay. you know, let me okay. look that up. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on it. I'll look it up in the meantime, and then I'll. So based on that, why not just say you're gonna finish out your year at Clemson, and you're gonna transfer in the off season and get ready to play for someone next year? You don't have to sit out the mandated year anymore with this new NCAA rule. You could step right in and be a starting quarterback somewhere else. In my opinion, Kelly Bryant has handled this situation like a petulant child. He said that if it was a slap in the face to him that somebody else came in and got his job. He felt disrespected by Dabo Swinney and everything that, that happened to him, fine. But when you do something that has very negative connotations for your team, it makes you look bad. And all I have to do is point to Jalen Hurts and show you someone that has handled losing his job to a more talented player in a very, very professional manner. You haven't heard Jalen Hurts. I mean, you've heard his father talk about how he's going to transfer and how he felt disrespected. You haven't heard it from Jalen Hurts himself. He, he's been the guy that's like, I want to be here. I want to help the team win. I'm going to help Tua do everything he needs to do to win and be successful. That's great. That's what you want out of a veteran on your team. It's it's hard calling these guys veterans considering they're in their early 20s. But that's what they are. They're upperclassmen. And they are here to help these next generation of students, next generation of student athletes along. And you, you said it straight up. The fact that Trevor Lawrence went down with an injury, and they had to go to quarterback three instead of a proven winner in Kelly Bryant. Shout out Chase Bryce for winning that game. Shout out Chase Bryce. It shows that Kelly Bryant only cares about himself and not the success of the team. In the in the crazy world that is college football, anything can happen on any given on any given Saturday, any given play, and we saw it. Trevor Lawrence got hurt, and thankfully he's going to be able to play this week. But what if he hadn't? What What if it ended up being an injury where he he was going to be out multiple weeks, maybe even the season? By saying you're transferring right now and not being a part of the team, you're throwing your team out to dry. You are. Uh, I'll counter to that in a second. Let me just say first, the rule is that you you could play 
up to four games without burning the year of eligibility. So he could go play for somebody right now, but it wouldn't make sense because he'd be only playing for exactly. six games. So he's going to do it next year. Yeah. My counter to that would be, look, Jalen Hurts has, we, we both agree, handled it well, been very classy. But you could argue he's probably more miserable because he's played in every game. He can't transfer. Exactly. <laughs> he's been in every single Alabama game. Two is clearly better. Nobody's arguing that. But I think that you're saying, like, well, only, he, all he cares about is himself. He's leaving his team out to dry. He should care about himself. Please, college athletes have been so walked on, or like, just stepped on all over by the NCAA these past however many years, as that pro- pro- uh, product has gotten bigger and bigger, and they've gotten nothing. Should care for himself. Yeah, he's leaving his team out to dry. Everything you said is right. I just don't think that it's a problem. You see, though. I'm, 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 I'm with you. I am usually the guy that is always players' rights. To me, the player is always in the right compared to this vile being that is the NCAA. <laughs> I'm sure we all know that. We can all agree on that. But in this case, how can you be a guy that was a starter last season and led your team to the playoff, didn't exactly play well in your playoff game, and then act super entitled when a better player comes in and challenges you for a spot that you clearly have not worked hard enough to improve on and win that spot. And then you and then you walk out on guys that you went on the field every every game with and you just tell them hey, thanks for nothing. I'm I'm going to go out have fun with the rest of your season win lose whatever I don't care. I think the thing is, like, when you're a college football player, I think when you grow up, you dream in your backyard of being the guy who gets hauled off the field, carried off winning a national championship or a Super Bowl or something like that. That almost happened last year with Clemson, but it was clear that with him as the quarterback, it wasn't going to happen because he was not going to be the quarterback. So he's going to go somewhere else and try to do that. To me, there's nothing wrong with using the rule to your advantage, I know he lost his job. I know it seems crappy, and the way he handled it, very crappy. But with what he did, I don't have any issue with what so he I did. So I guess it goes back to my original question. Why not just stay silent for the rest of the season, do, go about your business, do your job, be the scout QB, and then at the end of the year, announce you're transferring. Do what, do what Jake Eason did at Georgia. He lost his job to Jake Fromm, and then he transferred to Washington without an issue. I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure Bryant's a senior, so I don't know if he has that option. Well, because he could like they could redshirt him, but he wouldn't be around, so it's tough. I don't know. I I don't see issue with the actual act of him transferring. I just because everybody's like, well, he should be the backup, stay in line, do his job. I don't agree with that. I think I think he you gotta look out for yourself. You gotta look out for yourself. I think we can all agree that the way he's handled it is not great. And, that I agree with. And we'll have to see how how the rest of the saga plays out, whether he comes back to the team at some point or not. It's up to him. It's his decision. We wish Trevor Lawrence the best of luck. Get healthy. Get back on the field and show why you deserve to take the job. Feel better, Sunshine. Feel better. Feel better, Sunshine. Let's move on to this week's games real quick. Red River Rivalry, 12 o'clock, Texas. I'm impressed you said it right. I never say it right. Red River Rivalry. I always say Red, Red River Rivalry. Yep. Like that. Uh, I know I know. Mir Gorey's going to be heavily interested in this game. Um, Texas is traveling to Norman. What do, we, what do we expect from this game? Texas has looked better lately. Oklahoma looks dominant at times. 
so what should we realistically expect? So Kansas kind of had a sleepy game last week. Played a very nondescript Kansas State team. Uh, they won 19-14. They didn't look particularly good, but it's a, this is always a look-ahead game, so I wouldn't worry about it too much. This is one of those games that's always pretty close, so I wouldn't really expect anything different. I do think Oklahoma is better. I love Kyler Murray. He got suspended for about... 20 seconds last week and then you got he came the Johnny Manziel timeout yeah it was yeah I wouldn't even call it a timeout it was just like well you know you can't have this but then we'll give you this so hmm. it's ridiculous I I like Oklahoma I think they'll win by one or two possessions it won't be too disparate they're just more talented Texas has been much better in year two under Tom Herman for the life of me still can't understand why they lost to Maryland week one but this is a it's a good Texas team. They'll be around in the Big 12. They're a fringe-ranked team. That's probably where they're at all year. They're good. Uh, they're not that good. Oklahoma's better. Uh, the spread's minus eight. I could go either way on that. But Oklahoma, Oklahoma, I think, wins. Yeah, I'm with you. I th- I'm, I'm even more high on Oklahoma than probably you are in this game. I think they win comfortably. Really? I know you said one or two possessions. I think it's more two or three. Um, just because I think Kyler Murray is that electric. Um, I don't know where he is in my Heisman race right now, but he's definitely up there. He's definitely a finalist. Um, historically, th- these games are tight. Maybe not recently since the downfall of Texas. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to be that that complicated of a game for Oklahoma. Everyone knows how good they are. Everyone knows what they're going to go out and do. Kyler Murray is going to make plays like we know he can, and Oklahoma or is is going to handle their business. Yeah, just to. Uh, before we move on, just to m- look at the last few games in this rivalry, if you go back to 2010, Oklahoma won that game by 8. 2011, Oklahoma won by 38. 2012, this is co- kind of goes to what you were talking about. Oklahoma won by 42. That was the 63-21 game. 2013, Texas won 36-20. That was the last year of Mac Brown. Uh, 2014, Oklahoma 31-26. 2015, Texas 24-17. That was the only really big win. One of the only big wins that Charlie Strong ever got. 2016 was two years ago. That was 45-40. Last year was 29-24. So I don't really expect anything too different. I mean, Texas dipped there for a while. They're starting to come back. I, I'm not. I'm not even going to entertain the question, but they're starting to come back a little bit, and it's going to be better. But it's not going to be. They're not going to beat Oklahoma. I don't see them beating Oklahoma on Saturday. I just don't. No. Um, another another big game that we can look forward to is LSU traveling to Florida, number five versus number 22. Again, another very historic matchup here, another great SEC matchup that we've all come to come to love and look forward to every season. Um, Florida, they look okay. They're back ranked this week, but LSU just looks like a wrecking ball. They do. Their defense, really good. Yeah. They that's stopped all Miss. It's, it's crazy. Greedy Williams is phenomenal. People are projecting him in the top five. And for a cornerback, that almost seems unheard of. I mean, Denzel Ward did it this past year. But he wasn't projected. But too. he wasn't projected. The fact that a cornerback is being projected as a top five pick is crazy. It is, but I mean, he's really good. He's, and, he's such a good corner. And I feel bad because I can't remember his name, but there's a linebacker on LSU that everyone loves. They're projecting him top ten to... I don't think this game is particularly close. I think LSU really handles the business this week. I'm willing to say it's a three-possession game at wow. the end of it. Yeah, uh, you were talking about Devin White. He's the yep. linebacker for LSU. He's ranked number one by, uh, what's this site, Walter Football. Uh, that's the first one I found on Google. But anyway, uh, LSU-Florida, interesting game. Florida had a 
strange game against Mississippi State last week where they won 13-6. to It's going to be low scoring. I think it'll be closer only because it's low scoring. Joe Burrow is going to make enough plays. I didn't think he would against Auburn, but he, then he did. So I don't really have that concern with LSU anymore. Look, they're the fifth-ranked team in the country for a reason. They look incredible. They looked incredible in what I thought would be a trap game last week against Ole Miss, and it just didn't happen. I wouldn't be stunned if Florida wins, but I don't see it happening. Give me LSU 24-10, low-scoring game, but LSU pulls away. at the. They established themselves physically, too, at Brissett. I think that running game is going to be pretty good. Auburn, Mississippi State, I think it's pretty straightforward. Auburn's taking care of it here. They're going on the road, which you could always call it a toss-up, but Auburn's fine. They're going to be fine. They win this game easy. I agree. Jimmy, again. Uh, I'll let you take Notre Dame-Virginia Tech first. Yeah, so this is a fascinating game because Virginia Tech lost two weeks ago to Old Dominion. Mm-hmm. And last week they got a good win against Duke, who was ranked. I don't know why. I have no. I didn't even know that. Uh, but they, they got a good win. So now they're ranked. So it's 6 versus 24. You know, I want to pick Notre Dame. I really do. And I think they're very good. But this is... And this is probably not the right way to go about this, but you know what? I'm doing it anyway. These are the types of games that Notre Dame always loses. You're you're absolutely correct. So I'm from picking, yeah. So I am picking Virginia Tech. It's going to be a nuts atmosphere when they come out and enter Sandman and all that. We go with Virginia Tech, even though I shouldn't. They're on a backup quarterback, and yeah, I don't feel good doing this, but Virginia Tech. Virginia. Yeah, Tech. I feel the same way. Um, you know. Notre Dame, they're they're the kind of team that I say it every week. They love playing under the lights. They love the important games, and this is one of them. This, I think, for Notre Dame, they like you were saying in the beginning. They know that their schedule is not conducive to being nominated for for playoff contention. They know that every week is live or die. Their season comes down to each and every single game. They lose, they're out. They're playing in a top-flight bowl game instead of the playoff. That's what will really elevate this team to a different level. I, I've been at odds with Brian Kelly. I've I've said that he's been out on the hot seat for the past few years. But this year just seems different for Notre Dame. I am picking them. I'm not going to pick them big because I they're not that kind of team right now, especially against a great defense that Virginia Tech is. I'll call it a one-possession game. I think it's going to be close the entire way. I think, you know what, I think the score is going to make it seem closer than it is, but I think Notre Dame dominates, but they aren't able to pull away, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. So that's it for this week. Next week we're coming up on the halfway point. A lot of exciting stuff in college football. More to come. Come back next week.